this is an interesting episode to talk about. This is another one of those fun episodes, kind of like Little Green Men. It was actually quite popular, kind of like Little Green Men. A lot of people enjoyed doing it, both in terms of the actors and the directors and the set designers and the music. <clears throat> but also a lot of fans also really appreciated this, this as well. In fact, for a long time, people were really curious why this didn't become a recurring element. Well, funnily enough, you know how we only only got... We only only? You know how we only got two Moriarty episodes over on TNG? Same reason. In fact, I believe same exact reason, because it was MGM in both cases, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was MGM in this case. There's this bit towards the end of the episode where Bashir's like, Oh, yes, we definitely haven't seen the end of Julian Bashir. No, we had. That is the end of it. Uh, because MGM sent them a very strong letter. We've never actually learned the specifics of the legal judo that happened, but based on what happened, I would imagine that Paramount probably paid a fine and then agreed to never touch this again. So anytime they reference this program again, they do it so vaguely as to completely avoid any legal entanglement. So naturally, this is why we need to bomb MGM off the face of the planet, because twice now they have ruined good story arcs in Star Trek. Although I suppose we could say the same about CBS, too. So let's just bomb all the companies. We'll start over again with a new society. A better society. Sometimes when the house is so filled with termites, you must tear the house down. This was a nine-day shoot episode. If you don't understand the significance of that, I've actually talked before about how your average episode shoot, day, shoot length is about five to seven days. <clears throat> That's the amount of time... Most episodes take, uh, not of course counting post-processing or anything like that, that's the actual shoot time. Nine episodes was actually kind of a record at the time. And as I've pointed out before, some of the episodes, including uh, Shades of Grey, had an absolutely ludicrous three-day shoot time, which again, really, really limiting. So you can understand how having that extra time kind of showcases it. And to be perfectly blunt, I think it shows. I mean, this is obviously a very troubled and difficult shoot, very expensive too, but it's a great episode, my opinion, of course. As ever, I'm curious what other people think. See, that's part of the problem. I imagine most people who are here for Star Trek and don't care about, you know, other stuff probably didn't enjoy this episode. I can't speak for you guys, though. I'm just, I'm just curious. As ever, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So this is a holodeck malfunction episode, which, if you're paying attention, is basically one of the first times they've done that on Deep Space Nine. In fact, all the people involved were really hesitant about doing this episode because it's a holodeck malfunction episode, which started out as an interesting idea that very, very quickly became a cliché. And then, well, let's be honest, the holodeck malfunctions isn't a bad idea in its own right. It really isn't. I think we can all acknowledge this as adults. But I think the problem is so many of the holodeck malfunctions episodes are either silly, stupid, or actively bad, or some combination thereof. And that's the problem. I mean... Sure, the Moriarty episode's great, right? How about Fistful of Datas? <laughs> just, just to immediately jump to the next possibility there, right? <clears throat> I'll, I'll give my thoughts on the holodeck malfunction in just a second. I do think it was a mistake, but I'll get to that in just a moment. So, Garak hops on board, and I, I started writing my notes before he even finished talking. And the first thing I wrote down is, why is violating privacy when it comes to the holodeck still just such a normal thing? If you've been paying attention, I've been complaining about this all over the place on TNG. This was a thing in Voyager, too. People just barge on in, hey, what's going on? Ignoring the obvious sexual connotations that can exist on the holodeck, especially the hollow suite, 
it, it's kind of understandable why someone doesn't want their privacy invaded by someone just kind of barging in the middle of something. Like, even if we take anything legitimately embarrassing out and throw... Well, I shouldn't say legitimately embarrassing. Even if we take anything like, you know, sex out and throw that out the window. I don't know what else to call that. Anything romantically entangled. Uh, especially if two people go out the holodeck to have sex. Again, you know. So even if we take that as a possibility out the window, which, by the way, that by itself, th I think, would be enough reason to not violate privacy on the holodeck. But add into that the idea that as you're on the holodeck, you could be doing something really personally embarrassing or something you don't want to be open about or something that you use as a method of venting. One of the first things we ever... The first time we ever actually see Barkley is he is using the holodeck as a method of venting against his co-workers. Now, as was stated, there were some issues with that, and Barkley was having some difficulties with that. But imagine if someone just barged in, which actually happened in that episode, and just saw that. Don't you think that would be kind of wrong, just to put that as bluntly as I possibly can? Just to, to embarrass and humiliate him like that? Just to just smack him in the face and be like, hi. How many things are there that you enjoy that you are embarrassed by? Oh, I don't mean like horrible, like whatever horrible, disgusting thing that the internet or you're thinking of because of the internet. I'm not even talking about that. I had a friend of mine who was really into making models, as in, you know, little ships and stuff. I don't mean science fiction ships, like actual uh, real-life ship models, right? He really liked doing that. He was super embarrassed about it. I didn't even find out about that for years after knowing this guy. Right? I mean, isn't that an easy thing to understand? How many of you grew up in the 80s and 90s? I'm sure at least some of you did. How many of you found video games to be one of those things that you were kind of embarrassed to be into? I know that sounds like a weird thing to say nowadays since video gaming has become such an accepted medium of entertainment. But a lot of you, I'm sure, remember back in the 80s and 90s especially when video gaming was like the weird thing that only the, the, the weirdos and freaks did. Like, wait, you, you're playing video games? No, no, I was just about to go, uh, go play some basketball. Oh, okay. Right? It's not that hard to understand why that kind of privacy is the sort of thing that should be maintained. Now, all this ranting aside, what's funny is in this very episode, he mentions that not only is it, a, is it rude, it's apparently illegal, and he actually threatens to have Odo come after him. So apparently, in the Federation, in Starfleet, you can violate people's privacy all over the place on the holodeck, but on a Bajoran station, you can't. Of course, we could also argue that part of the reason it's illegal here is specifically because of the other purpose the Hollow Suites used to serve. Garrick kind of forces himself onto the show here, and that's a good thing, because, well, to be completely honest, while this is a fun episode, Bashir by himself probably couldn't have carried it. It is the dynamic between Bashir, the various other caricatures, and, most importantly, Garak, that really helps sell this episode, in my opinion. And the two-part act between the two characters is really, really good. Um, I also feel like uh, Andrew Robinson probably had an interesting time playing the role, since he's basically wearing a suit on top of the Cardassian makeup. I, I just kind of wonder what that would feel like. You know, an actual suit and tie kind of a suit. Anyway, so he basically forces himself on, and admittedly, I kind of get his perspective here, too. He could have gone about this better, but as he himself points out, Bashir has been very, very quiet about this program, and Bashir loves to talk, like he says. He loves to be open and expressive. He is a very much an extroverted person, sometimes annoyingly. <laughs> That's mostly in the season one stuff. 
And I point that out because anytime you have a friend who likes to talk about everything but is super quiet about what they're doing on the holodeck or with their free time, you're going to be curious. It's not a judgmental thing. It's not an accusation thing. It's just, what are you up to? Like, right? Is it something weird? No. Okay, then what are you up to? So you can kind of see the interest that Garrick had in getting involved in this one. I also like to think that Garrick probably did a little bit of looking into this before just sauntering on. Notice he already came on in a suit and tie. Probably directly modeled after the one Bashir himself is wearing. So one of the things I love about this episode is that it is an absolutely silly, ridiculous romanticization of the Cold War era spy stuff. You know, a Bond thing. And yet... Garrick is a real-life spy. Well, in Star Trek, Garrick is... If Andrew Robinson's a spy in real life, holy crap. But no, uh, Garrick is a real-life spy in Star Trek. And this is a recurring theme throughout the whole thing, and I'll touch on this one more time further down the line. But all I have to say is that it's funny how much he is bemused and just bewildered by everything around him. Because he's the kind of spy who does what is needed to get the job done. A very dirty gritty, unpleasant, uncomfortable, harsh, and dangerous exercise. The idea of being able to lounge around in some fancy apartment and just, and just have you know nice clothes and beautiful women and good drinks and cars and... What? That's not what a spy is. That's not what a spy does. Because Bond is not a spy. Bond is Bond, right? That's the whole point. I talked in the, uh, I believe it was just the last episode, about romanticization and how Worf was a romantic. It's the same kind of overall thing. It's one of those things that fiction, by consequence, has more or less led to a severe romanticization when the reality was far more harsh. Uh, two other things that come to mind immediately is the Old West here in the United States and the era of piracy in real life, both of which were really, really unpleasant, horrible, dirty, disgusting, awful period, periods of time that, thanks to key aspects of them, were romanticized and carried forward, partially as a virtue of the nature of culture and media, especially here in the States, but also partially because there were aspects of it. Like, if you were to pick out individual specific aspects about those eras and those concepts, you could see how they're appealing. And as, as Bashir himself points out, this is a fantasy. Bashir does not actually have an interest in doing this in real life, right? I mean, again, to use the example I love to use all the time, I love the Fallout series, love, the Fallout series, but I don't actually want to be there. I don't actually want to shoot people. I don't actually actually want to go scrounging through ruins that smell of fetid dust and caked, caked mold and radiate, radiation pouring itself into my being as I'm trying desperately to, to find enough resources. I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. But for fun, for a fantasy, completely different. It's one of the, well, let's not get, let's not go further off topic. But the point is, it's fully understandable why Bashir, of all people, would enjoy this as a fantasy. And Garrick himself, of course, is flummoxed by the whole thing, since he's so used to the exact opposite. So, then the episode messes up. Now here, I've, I've debated where I want to talk about this, because there's two points in the episode I can talk about this. This is a holodeck malfunction episode, and in my opinion, that was a mistake. You see, there is what effectively functions as a B-plot to this episode. It's technically part of the main plot, but in terms of structure, the save the crew and the, you know, the, the holodeck story are almost completely segregated. There's very few moments where they really touch over each other, narratively speaking, right? 
So it is my opinion and perspective that they shouldn't have gone that route at all. Now, I know what you're going to say. Lore, you're a moron. Why do you constantly say there doesn't have to be a threat of the week? There has to be a threat of the week. Otherwise, what's the point of the episode? You're stupid. Smack and a smack and a smack. So now that you're done smacking me, first of all, I do think that very firmly. In fact, to be completely blunt, I would have been okay if this entire episode was basically just the holodeck program and, an in, and basically a way to examine an interplay between Garrick and Bashir. I think the strength of that by itself holds the episode. My opinion. I think they don't need a threat of the week. I don't think they need to have any other aspect of it in order to help buoy up the episode. Just have this be Garak, the real spy, and Bashir, the completely fictional spy. There's a lot of character moments that are valid and powerful there. And funnily enough, we only really have two of them in the whole episode. You could have done a lot more than that. But, so it turns out the entire senior staff is off on a runabout, for once they don't take the Defiant, they take they take a runabout, which has been sabotaged by the True Way. Hands up if you have any idea who the True Way are. Now, how many of you who just raised your hands only know of them because of Star Trek Online? See, the True Way are mentioned mentioned twice in all of Star Trek, not counting STO. They are this whole you know terrorist vigilante group that wants to return to the old ways of conquest and power for their Cardassian Union. So it's actually pretty obvious why these people are such a non-insignificant point when it comes to Star Trek history. But I bring this up because you could probably already tell how the construction of this episode is actually kind of ridiculous. Now I've said it before. If you have a good, if you have a good goal, if you do something good with it, I'm willing to accept a stupid premise. And that is this episode of Nutshell. This is a stupid premise. So they have the runabout with all the senior staff on board. They happen to be coming back from a conference. It happened to have been sabotaged by the true way to just go bad, just when they're in range of the station. Then they beam them over from the station, but for some reason they can't actually get them, even though Star Trek has done that many times prior to now. Then, rather than immediately shuffling them over to the Defiance buffers and getting them re-established re on the Defiant, they flood the entirety of the station system with their patterns and information. I'm not even going to begin to describe how that doesn't work that way. And then they end up on the holodeck. So that way... But but the holodeck safeties are off. It's really important. It wouldn't be a holodeck malfunctions if the holodeck safeties weren't off. I've actually discussed before about how the very concept of holodeck safeties is actually kind of silly. But there's a scene in this episode where they're, you know, tied to a drill, which is going to start drilling, you know, down into the earth, and all this molten lava is going to start pouring up. How would the safeties deal with that exactly? The safeties being off? You see, my posit has always been the idea that when the safeties are off, a lot more stuff is replicated than fantasied. So in other words, if the safeties are on... The guy's like, I'm going to shoot you, and then fires and you hear the noise, the n muffled noise, of course, because a real gunshot will da can damage your ear. Um, so he's like, I'm going to shoot you, and nothing happens because there's no bullet, just like there's no gun. That's not a gun. It's a picture of a gun in 3D. But with the safeties off, rather than what they would do then is actually replicate an actual gun there with an actual bullet. So he is really shooting you. That's the safeties off. And I've talked about this extensively before. 
that's the way I always have made the holodeck make sense in my head. And I have to apologize really quick. I know that any of my long-term viewers know I tend to talk about the holodeck a lot. It's because the concept is absolutely fascinating to me. And one of the things I love to do in general is try to make things make sense, to try and figure out how and why something, as, as, which is basically magic, like the holodeck, could actually work, could actually be made to function. So this brings us to the lava thing. Again, with the safeties off, what would the lava do? <laughs> Right? Would it just generate actual lava in the room? Because remember, they're not actually in that cave. They're in a holodeck room. Which, if you start replicating molten lava into it, is going to just start disrupting the program very quickly and, and melt the whole thing down and it'll self, you know... So that's possible. Maybe that's where they're going with it. Personally, I think that at a certain level... Even if the safeties are on or off, the programming would say, okay, I'm not actually going to replicate lava into the room. So instead, what I like to picture is the idea that they would have been tied to this laser, and then the lava fills the room, and they're just sitting there in the room, completely filled with lava, like, well, now what? Because the lava's not actually there, it's just a hologram. Well, we're, we're currently sunk in lava. This is unique. Right? <sighs> Anyways. Too often we just kind of sort of say, it's the holodeck, and just treat it as magic and move on. I like to think about the more specifics of that. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. So I think they should have just ejected the main plot in its entirety. And by the main plot, I mean the threat of the week plot. The, oh my god, they're stuck in the pattern buffer plot. Now, don't mistake me. One of the things I actually very much like about this episode is all the main cast members getting to play their own caricatures uh, by several accounts. Most of them, most of the actors actually really enjoyed playing, you know, all of the different people. Uh, most notably, not a visitor as, I'm going to try this here, Anastasia Komanov, and of course, uh, Avery Brooks as Hippocrates Noah. I mean, come on. Both of them apparently really enjoyed themselves. They're the only two I heard of specifically. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. Quite the contrary. There's plenty of ways to have the actors play the roles, even if it's not the characters playing the characters. The characters playing the roles. Let's put it that way. Make it more simple. But I never like to critique without giving my own thoughts. And as I've already said, I think you could just eject it entirely and make it a character-centric episode. It's not like you can't do that, especially on Deep Space Nine, where they kind of started to push the envelope of not having the threat of the week every week. But let's say you want to have a threat of the week. Before I give you my thoughts, and I was thinking about this through most of this episode, because I've been think ready to talk about this episode for some time now. What would you do? I would really like to hear your guys' thoughts. What would you do if you wanted to make this episode work and keep the same basic premise, Bond plot, actors still playing the roles, and have there be some kind of threat? These are our three requirements for restructuring the episode. How would you do it? I came up with a couple of ideas, but all of them really, like three ideas, but all of them really revolved around the same concept. And that base concept was, make this a challenge. So either, like I said, the specifics kind of varied, but what it boiled down to is, no matter how you look at it, there was never actually a threat of the week. But the episode would be presented as if there was. And towards the end of the episode, you would find out, eh, no, this was never actually, you know, these people were not really in danger. Bashir wasn't really in danger. That wasn't the point. The point was not to show whether or not there was true harm going to be done to these people. The point was not the threat. The point was Bashir and Garrick. 
the idea so one of the ideas is that Garrick basically you know fiddled with the program and made it so that it kind of goes this way and Bashir's like oh no we've got to do this thing to save them or whatever and then they get to the end and Garrick's like yeah there was this this the the safeties were on the whole time that was just smoke and mirrors you know basically trying to push Bashir to prove to Bashir that Bashir can't be a real spy to engineer a circumstance by which he would have to make cut you know, have sacrificed one of the people, have to get one of them killed, and couldn't actually save everyone. And Bashir is the one who would think outside the box and defeat that challenge, thus earning Garrick's respect as someone who could make it as a real spy, right? Now that has some holes in it, and I'll admit that. One of the other variances I thought of was the idea that throughout the whole episode it's presented more or less as the episode is. Oh my god, it's them. Clearly it's their real things or whatever. Clearly I have to get through this, da-da-da-da-da. And you get to the end and it turns out that this was all basically something that Garrick and Bashir had walked into willingly and knowingly. Rather than Garrick reprogramming it, what would be implied is that Garrick came to Bashir off-camera and was like, hey, you know, I've, I've been looking at this new program you're doing, it's very interesting. I want to bet that you can't do it right, you know, basically. And basically the idea is that Garrick wants, once again, wants to prove that Bashir can't handle it if he leaves the fantasy realm and, and the safeties of the holodeck. And so then we have the construction of the episode. And by the end, Bashir proves that he can do it once again, getting Garrick's respect. You can kind of see how it's the same general idea, just a little bit slightly different execution. I had another idea of actually having the members of the, the, the Deep Space Nine staff actually being willing to play the roles on board. But the problem was, well, I could see that for several of them. Like, I could see Cisco hamming it up as Noah and enjoying it. And I could see O'Brien being willing to be the foil to Bashir and all that. I can't see Kira, who is adamantly established as anti-holodic, being willing to put up with this. And I can't really see Worf doing that either. Both of those would just kind of not quite work for me. So... That's the only real flaw with that kind of idea. I, everyone else, I think, would be completely on board with it. Just my opinion. I bet even Oda would be into it. And as an aside, to prove my idea that you could do this kind of thing without a threat of the week, they actually do this later with, um, oh god, I can't think of his name, the, the singer. The, the, the holodeck singer. I can't think of his name, but, you know, much further on into the series. And they would have several episodes with him which were th no threat of the week, just character stuff, right? It's Only a Paper Moon comes to mind as well, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyways, <laughs> complaining aside, we have a dumb excuse to get them so that there's a real threat of the week. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Moving on. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I actually have a note here in my notes, going back to where I just cut off, where it talks about how Kira shows up and the silly starts to collide with the whole, you know, the reality of the situation. O'Brien is the Falcon, of course. And Garrick points out the reality of spy work, the fact that you can't save everyone. And I have this note in my notes here, which is what just made me chuckle. It says, safety's off. Oh, come on! And I actually underlined it just to emphasize this. Guys, come on, really? Of course the safeties turn off. Anyways. At a certain point further down the episode, we see several actually really good scenes. One of the reasons I kind of wish we could somehow make it so that Worf was participating is because Worf, or that is to say Michael Dorn, does a really good job of uh, of Duchamps, or however he says his name, you know, the, the lieutenant guy. And I, you could just kind of tell that Dorn is actually enjoying himself as they're doing the whole Baccarat scene. 
I also like how uh, Cisco, that is to say Avery Brooks, clearly loves playing Noah. He just absolutely lets loose, and I think he does a really good job of it. In fact, he does such a good job of it. I have heard people say over the years that Avery Brooks would do a better villain than hero. I'm not sure what I think of that. I actually do like his portrayal of Cisco quite a bit. But I also know that a lot of people don't really care for Avery Brooks's acting style, so I suppose that's part of that. Anyways, so then, you know, Cisco's there, and he's awesome, and, and of course, he exposits his plan in full, which plays into their, you know, plays into Bashir's plan. His plan is also hilariously awful in so many levels, I'm not even sure where to begin to dissect this. Funny fact, I actually, uh, one of the things I do in preparation for all these ruminations is I check a few sites and a book, which is actually right here next to me, that covers things like nitpicking, because sometimes they catch little things that I don't. And it's a nice way to kind of keep attention to details. Now, I don't agree with every nit that is picked. In fact, I actually disagree with most of them. But it's still a nice way to check other people's sources and, again, to see what I missed for doing these ruminations. None of those sites even began to touch the ludicrousness of Noah's plan. Because it's just a ludicrous Bond plot. It's a laser drill, destroy the world plot. What else do you want? Anywho. <clears throat> so, and, and of course, once he captures Bashir, it's an overly elaborate death trap to kill him. And of course, Dax comes in and is seduced into helping. With Garak just tossing one-liners off the side. Oh, I'd give you some privacy, but, you know. Then, the episode kind of winds down very quickly. The uh, there's this bit where Garak talks. Garak talks about quitting, about the reason that he's in the business still, and so many other people aren't, is because he knew when he'd lost, and he knew when to bow out, and he knew when to acknowledge that you were defeated. And he also says you would know that if you were a real spy. And there's actually this really great character moment. Garak insists he has no ego, but I don't think that's quite true. I think at least a little bit of Garrick is bruised by the idea of this farce, the same way any of us would be. Take something you're good at, doesn't matter what. Just pick something that you're legitimately good at, that you have a degree of professional pride in. And imagine that someone is doing basically a mockery of that. I think you could understand very easily why, even if only a minor way, a little bit of that pride is pricked as a consequence. It hurts a little bit. To see someone take something that you take so seriously and you t and is so important to you and just basically make a joke out of it. I do think this affected Garak, but also more to the point, I also think that Garak found the entire idea so ridiculous because Bashir insists on trying to be a hero. Now, that is very Bashir. He is the kind of person who is idealistic and frankly kind of stupid. We just cover this in Starship Down. But at the same time, Garrick is very not. While he is certainly a patriot, he's certainly willing to sacrifice, he understands that being a hero in real life usually tends to bad things happening and everything going wrong. And so he just slams him with this and says, look, I'm getting out of here. And, and Bashir shoots him, at which point he never tries again to leave. Did you notice that? I mention that because I have this quiet theory that Garrick... <sighs> That mostly it was, obviously Garak did mean that and he did want to get off the, the holodeck. But seeing Bashir willing to pull that kind of a maneuver was a comfort to Garak. To know that Bashir might actually be willing to do the necessary thing in order to win. And of course by the end of the episode we find out that the game that Bashir has been playing has not been to win the program, 
but just to delay long enough for the other people to save all the people. That that was his actual goal all along. And he manages it with seconds to spare. The end. Yay. And of course, soon there will be more adventures except for MGM. And that's all I have to say about this episode. Unless you care about spoilers. We'll go ahead and toss the spoilers out. Right there. There we go. That's too high. Like there. There we go. No. There. 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 I'll give you a second to file out. This episode has always been fascinating to me from a out-of-character, you know, well, I, actually more from an in-character perspective. Because remember, Bashir is genetically enhanced. He is quite literally superhuman. Super strong, super agile, super smart. And what I find most interesting about this is this episode lines up almost perfectly with the idea that Bashir is genetically enhanced. And yet we know with total certainty that the creators weren't thinking of that yet. If you've been paying attention, this is not the first time this has come up. There have been multiple times now where Bashir being genetically enhanced makes perfect sense in the confines of the episode, even though it was never intended to be so. We know that that's something that isn't invented until much later from now, and is something that they basically came up on the fly as an addition to his character. Again, the whole backloaded approach to storytelling. So, think about this episode for a second, though. From an in-universe perspective, where Bashir is genetically enhanced. Again, the show-not-tell thing, kind of going back to the last episode. Think about the fact that he is not called Sir Geoffrey Tilworth Flatchflangely, or Bond, or Super Cool Dude, or whatever. Like, his name on the holodeck is Julian Bashir. That's his character name. He had to adjust the program to slide his name into that slot. And he obviously has a recurring series of adventures here. Now pay attention to some of the things he does. And I actually wrote down a couple of examples here. He takes out several people who have him at gunpoint while unarmed. He manages to knock someone out with a precision shot from a champagne bottle with very little prep time. He manages to win a fortune in Baccarat, starting from basically nothing. He manages to successfully identify the gems in the thing, as well as their specific position as well as almost get their height correct. And there are several other examples as well. All of these things make perfect sense if you assume that Bashir is genetically enhanced. The idea here, and this would also add to why he, he cared about his privacy so much on board these, these holiday programs, the idea here is that he wanted to be able to actually be himself. As we learn in the future, one of the things Bashir has retroactively been doing this whole time is pretending to be stupider, weaker, and you know less agile than he actually is in order to hide his, his superhuman qualities. That's something that, based on what we learn, he's been doing since he was a child, since he, he was a teenager at the absolute latest. And so this is something that's just an everyday part of his existence. Thus, he goes and makes this holodeck program where he can be superhuman and just kind of relax for a while, right? Where he can be Julian Bashir, Bashir, excuse me. This is also interesting because there's a couple other lines that kind of add to this. First of all, there's this line where he says, you know, this is just a fantasy. I'm not hiding anything. Now, obviously the intent of that line is obvious. Exactly, he means exactly what he said to Garak. But with the advantage of hindsight and retroactive continuity, we can see that he's being serious. This is just a fantasy. I'm not hiding anything. Because here he can actually stretch to the fullest extent of his abilities. Here, 
he can actually be appreciated by this fictional organization for being superhuman rather than hated, feared, and misjudged, as will eventually happen when he is ousted. In fact, he almost lost his Starfleet career, except for a very specific set of circumstances. Just for being genetically engineered, by the way. I, I suppose also for the fact that he lied about it. But again, even if he had told the truth, he would have just not never gotten into Starfleet, because the Federation has a very stark and severe anti-genetic engineering thing going on. And we'll talk more about that when that gets more relevant, because that's a whole other topic. There's also... Uh, there's also this bit that I want to mention, because as he's going throughout the whole of the episode, Garrett keeps saying, you just want to be a hero, you just want to be a hero. Julian Bashir is quite literally superhuman. And what he wanted more than anything else was to heal people and to help people. Oh, and to play tennis. And I point that out because I really think that Bashir legitimately wanted to be a hero. That he looked at the talents and abilities he had and said, why can't I use these? Right? It is, I actually think that someone of the, the severe idealism, naive idealism that Bashir has, and the severe desire to, to adhere to his own moral code, would think it is legitimately wrong to not be able to use his powers and abilities to help other people. Just my own thoughts on the matter. As ever, hope you guys enjoyed. I'll see you next time.